0: This Dharma talk is brought to you by the Chicago Zen Meditation Community. Learn about us and our teacher, Miyoshi Thompson, at zenchicago.org. Good evening.
1: So, tonight I want to pose a question, and the question is why do we practice? Even to put it in a slightly stronger way, what do we hope to get out of practice? Or what's our idea of Of what happens when we practice, of what good comes from it. Maybe, you know, we want some degree of inner peace, or maybe we want some degree of realization. Um, But then, of course, the question comes up well, were we to get those things, then what would we want? (laughs) Or what would we do with them? And so to uh, to try to get us started talking about this topic, um, I'd like to look at case 56 of the Book of Serenity. And in introducing this koan, this koan is about Dongshan, uh, the person who founded our school in China and a monk who was referred to as spiritual uncle Mi spiritual uncle Mi uh, was a student of Yunyan like Dongshan was and you know he must have been an older monk and uh, these guys wandered around together there's a few stories about spiritual un- uncle me and in all of no, not in all of them, but in most of them, he and Dongshan are going and they meet this teacher or they are asked a question by this student, but they're, they're traveling together so they must have been some kind of companions, uh, literally companions on, on the path. There's, And sometimes the stories about these guys take a particular pattern. For instance, there's one story about these guys Dongshan and spiritual uncle Mi were traveling and they were crossing a stream. You may remember that Dongshan enlightened while he was crossing a stream. He had just had a conversation with his teacher, Yunyan, he, as he was crossing the stream. He saw his reflection in the water and it awakened him. So Dongshan and Uncle Mi were crossing the stream. And Dongshan said to Uncle Mi, what is it like crossing the stream? And Uncle Mi said, well, it doesn't leak to the feet. And Dongshan said, so old and venerable, and still you talk like that. And he said, well, what would you say? And Dongshan said, the feet are not wet. So these guys had their own kind of thing going they have their own kind of dialogue, uh, including in this case, Dongshan asks me a question, he gives an answer, and Dongshan uh, says, you're so old and venerable, how could you talk like this? So they have this th- this thing going with each other. Before I get to the actual story of their dialogue, I want to mention that in the uh, Introducing this koan about Dongshan and Uncle Mi, uh, the commentator, Wansong, gives us a clue about the nature of practice and aspiration. The nature of what we can or what we should expect from practice. And his clue is this. He says, better to be sunk forever than to seek the liberation of the saints. So that's a pretty strong warning. Better to be sunk forever than to seek the liberation of the saints. So I ask us, is that one of the things that we look for in our practice? Do we seek the liberation of the saints? Uh, we might, you know, think twice if we do, according to the commentator here. What would that mean anyway? How, how could we seek that? Here we are in modern America, we don't seek the liberation of the saints. And yet, We do have all kinds of ideas about what might arise from our practice. Sometimes we feel that what would arise from our practice is that we could have equanimity in all situations. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) You feel that right? (laughs) We could have equanimity in all situations and so that that becomes uh, an aspiration. Um, that no matter what emotion were to sweep over us, we wouldn't be knocked off our seats. In fact, uh, this has been called by uh, one modern writer uh, Buddhist invulnerabilism. The idea that we kind of hope secretly that our practice would make us invulnerable to the to the vicissitudes of life, to the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, right? Whatever comes, we'd be fine. So, when one song says, better to be sunk forever than to seek the liberation of the saints, we should think about that. Maybe that does apply to us. Maybe we do seek a degree of liberation that would... Be kind of saintly, but to get to the the case of this koan. As Dongshan and spiritual Uncle Me were walking along, they saw a white rabbit running in front of them. And Me said, "Swift." And Dongshan said, how? And Mi said, it's like a commoner being appointed prime minister.
2: These guys.
1: These guys, they had quite <laughs> that is interesting conversation. I mean, I've never looked at a rabbit and said, it's like a commoner <laughs> being appointed prime minister. But this was a special rabbit. This was a white rabbit. As you know, rabbits are not white. Um, it would be pretty rare in, you know, the wilds of the mountains of China to uh, to see a white rabbit. So it must have been startling for them. And, and when Uncle Me saw it, he just he just exclaimed, "Swift! I'm sure it was running quickly." Oh. One other translation of what he said has him say, How excellent. That kind of fits with his later comment. And so Dongshan asks him, How? He says, It's like a commoner being made prime minister. And, you know, this is another way that we think about practice we uh, think about ourselves trudging along, you know, in Kenyan or just in our common world. And we have a thought that maybe when we reach some tipping point, some critical point, we gain kind of enough wisdom, or we sit enough periods of Zaza, that we're kind of elevated at that point. we get to a point from which we could see a higher truth and that we do gain some level of compassion or equanimity that uh, we did not have before. So we have this idea that maybe this is what practice will do. Maybe this is why we should practice. At some point, even though we're commoners, we'll be appointed prime minister and I think we do hope for some version of that that there will be some transformation in practice. We we hope that we could change our common brown coats for white ones like the rabbit. And I really have to say, that's fine. It's fine to have that idea of practice. There's even a way to practice with that, even though, um, you know, it kind of sounds like we might have some gaining ideas. And yet, if we have that idea about our practice, that's good. We should notice it. We could certainly learn something about how um, materialism can penetrate even into our spiritual practice. We want to acquire something. The risk though that comes with this particular view of practice is that it kind of devalues what is right here. Um, We have a sense of we are here, but what we want is over there. Or sometimes we're aware that we're not here, you know, we're off in space and place. And then what we want is what's here. You know, we do have this tendency to want what we don't have. We want a white coat instead of a bra. And in our practice, maybe we do want s- some kind of attainment. And this can be a problem. We we have a sense that our practice is really the practice of being here. Being here. And so the idea that practice should lead us to there takes us away from practice. So we can't really practice while we're leaning forward and grasping. Our practice is upright sitting, not inclined sitting. Not reaching the problem as Suzuki Roshi said is that people love what is not real and do not love <coughs> and do not love what is real and that's really true. we really value that which is not real. That which is kind of idealized. Right? We, we long for it. People love what is not real. And do not love what is real. And because of this, if we have a practice that tries to get somewhere where else, it is a real trap for us. You know, it, it's a practice that invites in all of the grasping that we do when we're off the cushion. So Uncle Mi said, it's like a commoner being appointed a prime minister. And Dongshan said his usual line, such a venerable old person still says such words? Like, how could you still believe that? And me said, well then, how is it with you? And Dongshan said, after generations of nobility, a temporary fall into poverty. turns Mi's comment totally on its head, right? He says, "Me had said, it's like a commoner being elevated to prime minister. See the white coat? That's how Europe can recognize it. And Dongshan says, after generations of nobility, a temporary fall, as if the brown coat, <laughs> the common, the ordinary, was really quite fine. And to seek the white coat, to wear the white coat probably, is temporarily uh, going astray from the path. So I think there are ways in which, like Uncle Me, we think we are plodding along in the world of form and we hope to advance to another level. At least a level with a little less distress and a little less confusion. Buddha taught that all of us will become Buddha. And of course we say, well, probably not in this lifetime, but if we could make just a little step, in that direction, that would be okay. And that's kind of Uncle Me's position. We will suddenly be appointed Prime Minister. But Dongshan kind of says, we're Buddha from the beginning. There were generations of nobility behind us. Maybe there's a little glitch in our Buddhahood or a little smudge here and there. Dongshan is kind of saying that our practice really is to recognize our noble heritage and to embody it in the midst of our commonness, in the midst of our ignorance. And for Dongshan, the noble is the ordinary. He kind of uses uses this image of a fall, a temporary fall, but for him, uh, the fall is to get attached to some achievement or to some idea of attainment. He's kind of saying this is actually what poverty is. Poverty is not having nothing. Poverty is clinging to something so tightly that we miss what's right of us. And it's interesting. We see this. When we awaken to something, if we have some insight or some opening, we never awaken to some sense of how special we are. Right? That's not what it's about. If we have some appreciation of the way things really are, you know. The primary characteristic of the way things really are is not that we're somehow better than other things or other beings. It just wouldn't come out that way, would it? When we awaken to fundamental nature, that means we awaken to the most ordinary, we awaken to what is common to all of us, that it's fundamental. We awaken to what connects us to people, even to people who seem very different from us. They have different political beliefs or different religious beliefs. Still, if we awaken to something, we awaken to our connection, our interpenetration with all things. Not to a new white ghost. Not to have some sense of how special we are. Uh, There was a teacher, Joan Sutherland Roshi. She had a great line. She said, awakening is the least about you thing that's ever happened. (laughs) (laughs) It's the least about you thing that's ever happened. Great way of saying it." And you know, really, this is not the way we approach it, but it's good to be reminded of that. It's not about you. Dongshan is saying, really, that there's something uh, very basic in all of us that is truly noble and that is completely shared with all beings. Uh, Teacher Dogen said, the fact that you cannot fathom the Buddha way uh, from the beginning does not mean that you lack ultimate understanding. It just means that you do not recognize the deepest point. And that's the trouble with us. We are, of course, completely connected with all things. And, and we could say it completely awakened, but at the same time we're full of all kinds of delusions and ideas and self- importance so even though we are completely and thoroughly a part of the of all beings, a manifestation of the universe, still. We don't recognize the deepest point, the point that's already here. And we're not alone in this. Uh, you know, when, when um, Buddha was practicing, he practiced all kinds of very severe ascetic practices. And finally, he realized the limits of that austerity. He realized that that kind of austerity doesn't lead to awakening; it leads to death. And when he when he had that realization, he remembered something that had happened to him as a child. And the story is that as a child, uh, Buddhist father, the, the prince of the land, was conducting a ceremony and so all the people and the court was involved in this ceremony. But uh, the Buddha as a child was not involved in the ceremony. And he went off and he just sat quietly under a tree. And the, uh, the story is that he just spontaneously slipped into a meditative state, just sitting still under the tree. And it said that when Buddha recognized that this practice of striving for something, of seeking the liberation of the saints, when he realized that that wasn't going to make it, he realized that he had known what to do since childhood. He just did not actually know that he knew it. He didn't know that what he knew was what he needed. And yet there it was. He he recalled from his memory this experience in childhood that guided the rest of his practice, and that guides our practice today. Just sit still. Sit upright and correct bodily posture, inclining neither to the left nor to the right, neither forward nor backward. Pretty simple. We could say that originally Buddha was noble. Back as a child, he knew the practice of all Buddhas. When he seemed to be scaling the heights of holiness, that was his temporary fall. It's not that we don't understand Buddha Dharma. It's just that we can't see the deepest point. And this story is told over and over in the sutras. There is a story that recurs in a lot of the Pali sutras. And in this story, a person is seeking heartwood. You know, the the densest wood of the tree. He's seeking heartwood. And he goes through the forest, wandering in search of heartwood. But he has the thought that heartwood is found among the leaves and the branches of the trees. And so he passes by the roots. He passes by the trunk and seeks the heartwood where where it isn't, really, in the branches of the trees. This is a good guide for us in our practice. When we're seeking something, especially if we're seeking something in our practice, one, We might consider, well, do we actually have it already? And two, we might ask, am I actually seeking in the right place for this thing? Are are we passing something by in our search because it just seems too ordinary? That can't be the answer for us. Sometimes we do this. There are are ways to practice that might seem very noble, but they are actually very exhausting. So Buddha's practice of ascetic practices was exactly that. It seemed noble to purify the body of all of its desires. But it was pretty exhausting. And in our Zen, you know, we can be kind of vulnerable to that kind of idea. Um, You know, we have these admonitions, give up all your attachments, have no preferences. These are powerful encouragements for our practice, but they can be misunderstood, they can be misapplied. Some of us, I'm sure, have been in situations in which our thoughts about what the right practice was actually led us into... Uh, very damaging practice. I myself, uh, oh, a dozen years ago, I, I herniated a disc, causing great pain. Um, and it didn't happen all at once, but it kind of started and then faded and started and faded. And the first time it, it started, this disc was probably bulging and pressing against a nerve, was the second period of a three-day session, And uh, like 10 minutes into the second period, damn, I had this intense pain, really intense pain, in my, in my uh, shoulder, down my arm. And so what did I do? Of course, <laughs> I continued to sit. <laughs> Right. Not only that, I didn't get to get up and go to a chair. I thought, this is the way to do it. The way to do it is just not to uh, be moved by this pain. Not to have preferences, but to just sit upright and correct bodily posture. And uh, so this was not the solution. So if I would get up when we did walking meditation, then the pain would go away. When I sat down, within a couple minutes, the pain would be back. Period after period, I did that. If I was moving, I was fine. If I was still, I was not. And I did the whole machine that way. And then, it got better for a while. We went on vacation. We went to Yellowstone National Park. We hiked around. It was great. I thought it all fine. And then, you know, later on, what I was doing, but it really did herniate later. And so I was in a lot of pain for a long time. But it it didn't help that I just kind of stayed doing it right. Right? It didn't help at all. This idea, we shouldn't have preferences can kind of take us in the wrong direction. A very senior practitioner told me once that she'd had breast cancer, but she believed very strongly that her practice was not to have preferences. So she suppressed or she tried to relinquish her desire to, to be cured, her desire to get well, because she thought her practice required that she have complete equanimity about either outcome. Uh, You know, fortunately, she was cured. That's great. Mm -hmm. That's great. And we have to look at it and say, uh, wow, that was devotion to practice. As she was conceptualizing practice, it was devotion to And yet we have to also look at it and say, don't we have to practice with our whole being, including the part of our being that really wants to be cured, that really wants health, that really wants life. I think the only way that we can really completely enter enter, into practice is to enter in with our whole selves. Uh, and to do anything else is to get into a practice that will eventually exhaust us. If we're really trying to deny some part of ourselves when we enter into practice, that's a terrible burden to carry into practice. We have to come with our brown coats. <laughs> we have to come with all of our ordinary. This is the way to enter into practice. And in that way, our practice is really one of affirming who we really are at our deepest level. The great poet Rumi had a poem about that. He said, this is how a human being can change. There was a worm who was addicted to eating grape leaves. And suddenly he wakes up. Call it grace, whatever, something wakes him. And he's no longer a worm. He's the entire vineyard and the orchard too. The fruit, the trunks, A growing wisdom and joy that doesn't need to devour. This is how a human being can change. I think of this worm as having thought that he was somehow something special. He was the apex predator of the grape leaves. Right, he could devour these grape leaves and yet when he woke up he found out he wasn't special at all he was just the grape leaves themselves in the orchard he was probably even the bird that eats the worms that eats the grape leaves And I think, you know, at some level we have this awareness, it might be dim, that our real nature is so vast, like the worms in real nature as the grape leaves and, and the orchard. I think we have that, that intuition of interconnectedness. And I don't know, I think it's even possible that our, our human grasping might grow out of our awareness that we are interconnected, but somehow we can't get in touch with it. Right? And, and it may be that, that at some level we sense the gulf and we try to make up for it in exactly the wrong way by grasping, rather than by opening up to the the orchard. By opening up to who we are completely. Um, At the end of this koan in the Book of Serenity, the commentator says, Favor, both favor and grace I'm sorry, both favor and disgrace are, are disturbing. Profoundly trust in yourself. In the real state, one mixes tracks with fishermen and woodcutters. So profoundly trust in yourself In our lives, there's no real step forward that does not involve a profound acceptance of what is, a profound acceptance of who we are. The commentator says, in the real state, one mixes tracks with fishermen and woodcutters. We're right in there with everybody else. (laughs) Our tracks are mingling with the tracks of the fishermen and the woodcutters and the cloth weavers (coughs) and the worms. That's the real state. Not a practice that elevates us, but a practice that opens us to our commonality with everything. So, really, We could talk about our practice or our goal for practice as transformation in a way. But I think even better, we could talk about our goal for practice as homecoming. A homecoming because the person we really are, the nature that we open up to the most fully, is deeply embedded with all others. And we can lose track of that if we focus a practice on achieving something or gaining something. If our practice results in a homecoming, we know it because what arises out of that is a deep sense of connection and a deep sense of compassion with all others. we think of, you know, some kind of awakening as a deep understanding of something. But I think compassion can't be very far away from our deepest uh, connection, our, our, our deepest nature. So let me let me pause here and uh, ask about any comments or questions or reactions.
2: Yeah. Um so it's like having a text conversation with a friend who lives you know, so a lot of uh, our conversations are over text or sometimes over phone, but today like not saying this exactly, but how it hurts to open up to the orchard. Yeah. Right? Like and it's even harder now what's yeah. going on to remain open and like both, both have a tendency like we're, we're both sort of naturally thinking we are naturally of people but it hurts so much that we like our tendency is to want to move off the grid <laughs> and, uh-huh. and he kind of lives in an area and doesn't where he can go off the grid oh yeah okay uh, and so we were just sort of validating those both sides of ourselves that like it's hard to connect and it's hard to stay connected um yeah,
1: that's yeah, that's right. It's interesting. When the worm opens up to be in the grape leaves in the orchard, um, he may not like it. <laughs> right? That's kind of what you're saying, isn't yeah. it? We could open up, but it's very hard. And we'd be exposed to a lot of suffering if we did that. Right? Yeah, well, and
2: we are sort of fucking do like both like our families both sort of like they were like met where our needs were met and all of that but it wasn't an environment where we were like open up to suffering it was more like let's fix suffering yeah mm-hmm. uh, and yeah. so that's our programming and so it's just like this weird when we try to connect with our true nature there's that, like, also that other side of ourselves that just like squash
1: it and fix it. Yeah, so let's fix it. So it's like being in war. <laughs> yeah. I found my <laughs> true nature, and <laughs> <laughs> now I'm fixing <laughs> it. Yeah, so, yeah.
2: Uh, yeah. Uh, 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 <laughs> that's for the chat.
1: Yeah.
0: That's cool. Uh, it's almost like there's two kinds of specialness. One that's specialness that. Exaggerates the ego and puts someone above uh, others, and then the kind of specialness that comes from um, getting in touch with universality and interconnection. Um, you know, where there's where there's a sense of wonder, um, you know, a sense of peace in this in this special in the sense that um, it, it's uh, it gets down to original uh, uh, self. As compared to when the we're always living uh, on, the, on the other level of specialists, almost like uh, the first specialist is here, and then it goes in a circle, in an arrow, and then it, it ends here. And I don't know why that image came to mind.
1: But, That's interesting. Um, and when you did that, you you didn't bring your fingers together. Right. Finger comes at a different point. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, it's almost like they're, they're almost like they're they're next to each other, but yet they they don't connect in some way. But I saw um, Won't You Be My Neighbor this weekend. Oh, yeah. And it was just absolutely phenomenal, A really great movie. And um, one of the things that struck me about Mr. Roger, about Fred Rogers was, uh, he's Mr. Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> was, was how, uh, how mindful uh, he was. And uh, all the films that you see of, of him behind the scenes or his actual interviews interactions with the kids and um, one uh, towards the end of the movie one critic um, who was extreme as he is simplistic claimed back in know, the late 70s that, or the 80s that um, that Mr. Rogers was single-handedly responsible for the culture of narcissism <laughs> today because he was always saying that you're special you oh. telling kids that they're special oh I see and you know in, in my view, um, what he was doing was you know he was saying that each person is um, is an individual but but um, in the sense of, of being worthy of respect and of being in, in the sense of um, being connected to everyone yeah. And, um, uh, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, we have, even when we're born and when we're really, really young, we're a cauldron of desires and clinging and aversion. But what I think Mr. Rogers was doing was he was talking to the kids and saying that you're more than that and and keep, uh, don't forget that place. Yeah, sure. Um, Yeah.
1: And, and that, that's the appropriate teaching for that situation, isn't it? You know, we wouldn't want Mr. Rogers talking to the seven-year-olds and, and saying, you know, you're a worm-eating grape leaves and you're the whole orchard, right? <laughs> it just wouldn't be the right teaching, right?
0: Yeah, he did have a, a pretty amazing way of, because he was an intelligent guy, he was an ordained Presbyterian minister, but he had just a really amazing way of boiling it down, not just to its simplicity, but even beyond simplicity. Cool. Because there was almost a sense of non-speaking going on because of his long pauses when he mm-hmm. talked, which is sort of what I would say would be more mindfulness. Yeah. Um, huh. You know, he was extremely, he was very always very, uh, um, very measured uh, and thoughtful about what he said. But you know, it also reminds me of like the some of the American Transcendentalists. Just flipping to a different topic, like Thoreau and Whitman, in terms of feeling special. Um, you know, they, these folks were educated. Um, but as far as the woodchopper, you know, Thoreau probably mentions a, a lot of times that how we would saunter through the woods and have conversations. And same with a lot of Chinese uh, philosophers and Whitman. Went spent a lot of the time during the Civil War in the hospital writing letters for mm-hmm. the injured mm-hmm. to to family and friends. And I, I think that they were so open and so, and I think, you know, maybe there's a, a quality that's like, you know, only in America that could happen in terms of this sort of open democracy, like this sense of, you know, uh, the noble cast coming down mm. to. brown
1: brown coat yeah that's interesting you know I want to pick up on something that you said at the beginning there and that is this this sense of specialness that if we do get a an intimation of the depth at which we're connected to all things it feels special right I mean we're really glad to, to see that But that's different from being special ourselves, right? I think, I think when we see something about that, that, uh, universality, that connectedness, it doesn't make us feel like we're special. It's
0: a special opportunity. It's yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, it may, it may feel like, um, really beautiful, for instance, to see that. but it doesn't make us feel that we're, we're somehow better than anybody else. In fact, if you guys are doing something where you're really worried that, you know, you might do it wrong or, try this, try saying to yourself, it's not about me. Because every time when we're worried about that kind of stuff, it's because well, it's, I have to do a good job or else people will, you know, it's, uh, not think well of me, it's always about me. But if the task itself is really important, we could just say, let's, let's just do the task. Uh, Whitman who's writing the, the letter uh, is probably not saying, Boy, I am such a great guy for writing uh, to, <laughs> to this this poor wounded soldier's uh, mother, right? Oh, <laughs> he's probably very aware. This is not about me. I'm just going to take down exactly what he says and I'm going to send it to his mother. <laughs> right. Right. It's a real good way to get, get past um, the worries yeah. we have about doing it right. It's not about me. Any other thoughts? Okay. Thanks very much.